Hello, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study here at Celebration Church. Greetings to all you in Green Bay, as well as in Appleton, Stevens Point, those who watch at home, those who watch online. Uh, good to have you with us. Uh, I know in uh, Green Bay, they start passing the offering basket at the beginning, so you guys can go ahead and do that. Uh, reason why we do that <clears throat> at the Green Bay location, there's a fair amount of people who can't make it to church on Sunday, so this is their chance to give their offering, and certainly anybody who wants to give more and be blessed, by all means. So, uh, but anyway, we are in the uh, second letter that Paul wrote to Christians. It's really his first letter to just primarily pagan Christians. It's the group of Thessalonians that he met in Thessalonica. So we're in 1 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 2 of his letter, again. I hate to repeat these things, but a lot of people are new to church and they don't understand. This chapter and verse and all these numbers, these were all added later, hundreds of years later, like five, six hundred, eight hundred years into Christianity, whatever the number was, maybe later, uh, where so they could find where we were talking, they broke everything down into chapters and verses. They gave them chapters and numbers. So you could, okay, I'll go to this chapter and this number verse. Okay, now I can read along with you. They weren't written like this. He didn't, the Bible wasn't written in chapters. It wasn't written in verses or any of this. Uh, sometimes the chapters and verse make sense. Other times they make absolutely no sense. They're sometimes in a verse. They'll break from one verse to another. It's like, why did you break it there? I don't know who the guy was that did it. Oh, you got to hand it to him. There's a lot to have gone through. So, you know, making a few mistakes, I guess we can cut slack on. There's some chapters that are very oddly broken up like a half a thought, and all of a sudden they jump into another chapter. It's like, and you get the idea like something new is being said. It's not. All of these were written, particularly in the New Testament, these epistles, these are letters. They're just letters. It would be like if some, one of you wrote a letter, and then later, you're, you're such a brilliant letter writer, and we're so impressed, and we're studying and analyzing everything you wrote, and we broke your letter to your grandma into chapters and verses. And now we're going to look at chapter 3 of your letter, verse 12. You go, what? I didn't write in chapters. They didn't write them in chapters. So just so you know, these numbers are just reference points. So we can see what they're talking about. So, <coughs> verse, chapter 2 of his letter, uh, verse 14, is where we're going to pick it up. Uh, he says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews. So, uh, the, the churches here were suffering a fair amount of kickback from uh, the established Jewish hierarchy and leaders. It wasn't that all Jews did that, because most of the Christians in this area were Jews. When Paul said, I suffered at the hands of the Jews, he's talking about the power brokers, because Paul was... A Jew! You know, I mean, <laughs> it'd be like a black guy saying, man, all these blacks picked on me. Okay, we get what you're saying, but it's not that they hate blacks, because the guy's black who's telling the story. So they were all Jews. And what he's saying is, just like the churches here suffer from the Jews, you guys are suffering here, he says, from your own people, which were primarily not the Jews. You're suffering the same thing that these guys said. And then Paul uses some language here that becomes really problematic. And, and we're going to bring it up here, and I just want to discuss it for a little bit uh, in terms of history and stuff. 
concerning our interaction with Jewish people uh, historically. Uh, he makes a, a phrase here that gets, has been greatly misused in the past. It's been largely corrected. We don't have much problem with it anymore. It's one of these things, I think, if Paul could take back what he said, he would. Uh, if there was a different way of phrasing something, he would do it. Uh, uh, but he's writing from the heart, and he doesn't know what people are going to do with this stuff, you know. So, uh, and, and I got to tell you, as a person who speaks professionally for a living, both speaking conferences to business groups around the world and to churches and marriage conferences around the world, and of course, here on Sundays and stuff like that, um, it's really easy to say something in a way you didn't really mean to say. All right? I try not to panic when you hear this, some of you. I'm a big fan, for example, in this political season of Donald J. Trump. Let me explain to you why. Okay? This has nothing to do with politics. Why do you believe this that way or the other? There's some things I disagree with that. But the reason I really like the guy is because I know what it's like to be a speaker. And I've noticed this for, for years. What these politicians done and what the media has turned into is they sit and listen to these politicians develop, uh, deliver a speech or a phrase and they're talking to a group of people. That's why some of these guys use teleprompters so they can stay right on point and know exactly every little word that was thought out ahead of time. Because what, ha what has happened is these pinheads sit and they just wait for these guys to say one thing in a way that's going to make a bunch of people mad. Or misphrase something they didn't mean intend a phrase or you know they nail them if they're on the senate floor making a speech and he said abcd what is really ebcdf or whatever you know and, and they just go nuts and they destroy people they've destroyed entire people's lives and careers because these pinheads sit around just they're not listening to what anybody's saying they're just waiting for a phrase that they can jump up and beat the snot out of people with um i experienced this experience this to some degree you know, although most people get it today, when you speak the way I speak, uh, and some of you may not believe this, when I first started speaking, some of you might actually remember this. There were many sermons I would preach where I'm basically reading my sermons just so I can be careful to get things right. Sometimes you do this just out of fear of people who are beating the snot out of you. I remember my wife, she'll tell in the early days, she'd yell at me and say, quit reading those sermons. But it's, it's how you know you can get it just right. Quit reading, it's boring. Nobody wants to listen to you read. Our culture is different. It used to be for centuries of Christian experience, and even in many denominations to this day, that pastors still read their sermons verbatim, word for word. They read them. Uh, others uh, actually memorize their thing. Word for, I mean, they're really good with memories. I mean, it's like an actor who remembers his lines for a play. They memorize, and they, they do this just so they can make sure they say everything just right. Well, I come, when I come, I know what I want to say. I have my notes <laughs> of what I plan to say, but I need to do it on the cuff and on the fly because, quite frankly, you wouldn't like it. And you say, oh, I don't like them reading the sermons. I can read it myself, you know, and everybody's got their whining about something or other. So in our culture today, and it's not just you, it's just our American culture, they don't want to come to a meeting where people read things to them. By and large, they want someone who just speaks to them 
as I speak. The problem with that is in doing that, you oftentimes say something that in retrospect you go, oh man, I wish I hadn't said that. Or, and then somebody will say, throw it in my face. Well, you said ABC. And I go, did I? Yeah, you did. Well, what I meant was, and they go, well, I don't care what you meant. That's what you said. Well, if you, if you do that, then, then you're a pinhead. And these are the kind of people that I, and again, as a professional speaker, um, I appreciate a guy like Trump who comes along who says, I'm not going to read these things off a teleprompter. I don't care. And he just speaks off the, and then he has literally beaten the snot out of an entire industry who used to be freaking out about every little phrase. And he tells me, shut up. Yeah, I know that's, what, that's not what I meant. What I meant was, but that's not what you said. And he's torn that down as a speaker and all speakers everywhere who speak the way we speak. I'm sure we're all cheering the man on saying, yes, thank you. You said, said, I know, but listen to my whole talk. It was, I was trying to say that. And again, most normal people sit and listen to that. These pinheads in the media wait for just phrases. They take the one phrase and they put it on TV and get a bunch of pinheads sitting there discussing what the other pinheads brought out and say, he said such and such, and da, 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 and they go crazy. And we watch all this. As a speaker, I appreciate this kicking back against the ability to hear. There's a thing, I listen to every little word you say, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're in arguments with people, just with husbands and wives. You often get into arguments and someone will say something that maybe exactly you shouldn't have said. But what do you try to, uh, you know, say to them? Well, that's not what I was trying to say. What I was trying to say, and a compassionate person should say, oh, okay. Someone who's being an intransigent jerk uh, would say, no, that's what you said. That's what you said. And, and I know people who are like that. Don't be like that. Don't be smacking people because you can't listen to their explanation of what they said. All you can do is beat them to death with what they said. Uh, so anyway, God bless Donald J. Trump for changing this culture of gotcha and waiting for someone to say something just inappropriately because those of us who do say things inappropriately from time to time, uh, we, don't get, we don't hang up on that. You need to listen to the entire, what is he trying to say? He say, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said that, but what is he trying? We have guys in our pulpit. I'll listen to them. I go, you know, probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, but what is he trying to say? He's trying to listen. You just, there's an art of listening. And if our culture can get back to trying to hear what someone's saying, instead of jumping on everybody for exactly what they said, to me, I think it's a big win. Whether he wins or not uh, from that, that's why I think it's great. All of that to deal with what Paul is about to write here. And here's what he said. You suffered from your own people the same thing those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. The big phrase here is talking about Jews as Christ killers. And the number of people who have used this verse and this concept to justify hatred towards Jews, to the persecution of Jews. I'm talking people who claim to be Christians who advocated this kind of stuff. And the Jews are evil. They're Christ killers. The Bible says they're Christ killers. Wait a minute. Everything you see here was written by Jews. Jesus was a Jew. 
His mom was a Jew. Everybody in his life was a Jew. All these apostles were Jews. Everything written is all a Jew. There's no way Christianity hates Jews. It's absurd. When he's talking about these people who were persecuting Christians, which, by the way, were Jewish Christians, he's talking about these power brokers and these guys in power in the Jewish culture were the ones who always fought against God and killed the prophets and made life miserable, you know, in, in terms of resisting God in, in their lives. We understand that, but Paul is not writing off an entire race of people as Jesus killers, okay? If you ever hear something like that, just smack the person saying it. That's not what the Bible says, and that's certainly not the case. And I get such a weird thing floating around there. I'll, I'll hear every once in a while you'll hear an interview by some skinhead, you know, Aryan idiot or something like that. And they'll literally have a Bible in their hands and say, we need to get rid of the Jews and, and serve our God, our Christian God. You moron. They're just ignorant people talking. The very book they're holding is written by Jews that Jesus say that we got to fight for. Which he doesn't need you fighting for. It's Jewish. They're all Jewish. So don't ever allow yourself to get caught up in that kind of stupid insanity. And it's just sad that such a phrase, you know, the church is up from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets as if all Jewish people killed Jesus. All Jewish people did not kill Jesus. Again, all the churches in the beginning were all Jewish and the very people they're killing are Jewish Christians. It's just that these guys, these Jews, these leaders of the Jews in, uh, in this area persecuted and killed Jesus and the prophets and, every, and to, to that very day, Christians and stuff like that. So, Hopefully that puts that all to rest, all right? It says, in their effort, they uh, keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. In this way, they heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's talking about. People have actually justified this for like when, you know, Hitler was killing off Jews or horrible things. And the Jewish people have suffered terribly uh, for a very long time, thousands of years and for Christians to come along and say, well, it's just God punishing them for killing Jesus. No, 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 no. That's, that's, uh, I just can't go there. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Again, it makes no sense. Jesus does not hate, God does not hate Jewish people. It is an absurd, incredibly, immeasurably, stupidly absurd premise that a our Messiah born as a Jew into a Jewish family with Jewish followers and Jewish leaders and that somehow hates Jews. I mean, it's just, it's just beyond, beyond measurement. Anyway, so again, I'm sure no way did Paul think, well, wait a minute, I wasn't talking about everybody and they're not all Jesus killers and I didn't kill Jesus. And, but that phrase comes out like that and it's been a very misused phrase, so... Anyway, it is what it is. 
Verse 17, now, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, he's using, <laughs> again, these guys were great writers. Paul is a great writer in some of the emotion and picture. Uh, he's saying, you know, we couldn't be with you anymore. We had to leave on our trip. You know, I'm going, I'm down in Corinth. We had to leave. I mean, it's much more dramatic. We were orphaned when we were separated from you because you were our family. And he wasn't even there all that long, but he's just using very strong language. So we were orphaned for you for a short time. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. He wanted to get back and see them. It just didn't work out. We wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Now that's an interesting concept, you know, because we talk about how as Christians we have victory over the devil and at the end of the day we do and we always will triumph uh, but there's times of battle just like in any war sometimes the enemy gets a leg up one way or the other where you just keep fighting the battle uh, it is a battle in Christianity and sometimes Satan grabs an upper hand anyone who tells you man you just have faith you'll never have a problem the devil can't ever stop you sounds exciting and encouraging and makes you want to cheer but apparently Paul Never had such brilliant insight because he literally says, I tried to come back to see you, but Satan kept blocking our way. Why was that? I don't know. Why did God even allow that? I don't know. How come he couldn't just pray and cast the devil out and overcome? And that's, I don't know. But that was the struggle there. It just, it is what it is. We don't have an answer for everything that happened. Why was Paul sick? Other people having miracles. I don't know. Why did some Christians get sick and die, which we're going to read about in a little bit, uh, and others, you know, were raised from the dead? I don't know. At some point, we just have to understand, we, whether we live or we die, we do it to God. Our lives are very dead. And by the way, everybody's going to die at some point. It's all, we do it all to God. Everything we do, our existence is done in faith to him. When God shows up and turns around bad circumstances in miraculous ways, we cheer and we celebrate. And primarily, hopefully, we, it's a testimony that encourages others and brings people to Jesus. Uh, when we suffer, Paul says, we rejoice in that as well. We rejoice. Really? Yes. Why? Because now people are seeing that God loves us even when we suffer. Even when everything's going wrong, we're still on top. Even when life stinks to high heaven, we can still have an occasional blast of the smell of roses in our lives. Because in the end, we win. Jesus always wins. The gospel always wins. But there's times where there's seeming setbacks. Uh, and I've, you know, it's a funny position to be where I'm at because on the one hand, I want to encourage people to have faith and trust God for miracles to turn anything around. But at the same, same time, I've got to teach, look, even if your life sucks and nothing changes, you still walk in victory. So it's kind of confusing, Pastor. Well, both experiences are real, you know? And some people actually experience both things. My darling wife, oh my gosh, has suffered terribly. Oh, just, just stuff I, I don't think, I, as a man, I could... She, I remember her going through treatments, real specialized treatments years ago uh, with cancer that most men couldn't tolerate. She tolerated it and went through it. I mean, it was bad. You, they literally had you in the intensive care unit the whole time they're giving you the medicine because it was so nasty. 
and your heart could stop at any minute. I mean, it was brutal. She suffered. I remember she, she was all bloated and stuff from all this medication and stuff. You couldn't even recognize her. Her face was all bloated. Her eyes were slanted. Her skin color was kind of yellow. Tell her she looked like a little chubby oriental lady. <laughs> God bless the chubby oriental ladies. But for my little redhead to look like a chubby oriental lady just from the medication alone, you know, we find things to laugh about no matter what. But she suffered terribly. And in this last batch, a year ago, she was suffering horribly. Couldn't understand how she could suffer so badly. And you just want to cry, God, where are you? But you can't do that. You just say, look, whether we suffer, we rejoice in our sufferings. We're going to praise you, God, when everything's awful. When it looks like she's going to die, we're still going to suffer. People say, what are you going to do if she dies? I'm going to get up the next morning and, and serve God just like I did the morning before. It is what it is. I don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that stuff to happen. But at the end of the day, our lives are not our own. They, believe, they belong to God. You got to keep open-handed with this stuff. No matter what comes your way, we need to just live open-handed before God. Blessing, curses, health, sickness, miracles, suffering, whatever it is. And sometimes it's both. And in her case, suffered horribly. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, and nobody has a real good explanation for why, she just started getting better. And tumors that she could literally feel in her body, she couldn't feel anymore. They're shrinking up. They're going away. Now she has her strength back. Her health is back. The doctors keep using phrases like shocked, amazed, stunned. Wow. Okay, wow. So what if she eventually dies? Well, then we're back on that side of the ledger again. Either way, we're going to serve God. And here's the thing. We are not just celebrating Jesus because she's healthy today. We were celebrating Jesus when she was sicker than a dog. We were celebrating Jesus. I was in the pulpit preaching and teaching and encouraging you in your faith when it looked like I might get home and she may not be alive. You saw us live this out in front of you. Live like that in your lives. Let's trust God for the best, but no matter what happens, we're going to trust God. Nothing can stop us. Let the Holy Spirit do its thing in you. Again, some have dramatic miracle salvations, others suffer terribly, and a lot do both. Either way, we serve him. All right? So, I wanted to come see you. I tried to, but Satan blocked our way. Verse 19, for what is our hope, our joy, or crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? He said, the reason we want to come see you is you're the reason we're here. As a minister, as a pastor, uh, my glory, my celebration is when you live what I'm telling you, what I'm teaching you, when people write me and say, man, my life has changed. Even this lady on New Zealand, my life, I, I could have my baby. I'm healed. I'm fine. We're getting married. We're getting right. We're going to quit fawnicating or whatever. This is, this is, that's my glory. This is my celebration. It's not stuff I own or accolades of men, which there aren't very many. <laughs> so sad to say. I could use a few more accolades, but it's not about that. It's, it's about the lives that we touch. And that's what Paul is talking about. Indeed, he said in verse 20, you are our glory and joy. All right. Continuing his letter, which is now described as chapter three. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And we sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ 
to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. We read about that. Remember, he's coming to Athens. Timothy and those guys are back there. And um, he sends them to go check on them. Uh, Verse 3, so when no one would be unsettled by these trials. I'm sorry, let's back up verse 3. 2, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in the faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Again, in spite of the miracles they experienced, now they're suffering. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Destined for what? Trials. The very thing I'm talking to you about. Don't be shocked. Paul actually says this later. Don't be shocked when you're going through a terrible trial as though something strange were happening to you. And that's the way it feels. I know you, I've lived it. Sometimes you come up to me, I don't know what's going on. As long as I'm shocked, why is this happening to me? I don't know. I do know this. Apparently we're destined for, destined for these tests and trials. You know, I don't know. We want to react to them as best as we possibly can and we trust God through all of it. All right, in fact, when we were with you in verse four, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. I warned you guys, and it turned out that way as you, as you well know. In other words, I was right. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, talking about the devil, had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and had us brought us good news about your faith and love. This is what actually triggers the writing of the letter. The reason he's writing the letter is Timothy comes back and he says, man, man these guys are rocking. They're doing great. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of uh, uh, resistance and they've struggled and they're under persecution, but they're doing good and talking about this love and these passions and all the stuff that they're doing for the kingdom of God. That's when Paul sits down and he writes this letter. So he says, man, Timothy just got back uh, from seeing you guys. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. He still wanted to go see them. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, it sounds like he ends there. He does this a bit. There's a few places in his letters where he says, may God do this, may this, and hopefully everything will work out fine. And it's almost like he could go, the end. That's the end of it. But he doesn't end. Then he keeps going. So let's pick it up now. Chapter four. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, other matters. Hmm. What other matters? matters could there possibly be now we know that oftentimes these people would write him about other matters about things that they had questions about things that they were struggling with uh paul writes at some point even though he's with the corinthians for a year and a half when he writes his letters is now 
Let me answer about some of the questions you had because I had questions about marriage and dating and how do we handle this stuff and uh, or other issues in the church. And Again, these are people, uh, they're new in their faith. God's doing great things. They're really tied in. They're experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They're suffering but yet being blessed and full of joy at the same time. Uh, but then there's questions. How do, you know, how do we handle this? How do we do that? This, that, and the other. Uh, what kind of questions would a pagan have when first coming to Jesus? So as for these other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So, guys, what about this? What about that? And he says, okay, let me answer this stuff for you. You want to live right. And one of the first things he mentions after saying that, he starts talking about sex. Yes. Yes, folks. He talks about sex. Oftentimes the Bible talks about sex, particularly when he's talking to pagans who are living in a very sexual culture. And holy cow, if that isn't the world today, I dare say we'd give these people a real run for their money. We're probably way more up to our eyeballs in this nonsense than they ever dreamed of. But if there's one thing that people come to faith in Jesus and they're experiencing God is they have to ask questions about that area of their life. Because it's a big area of people's lives. And people, you know, this is kind of now you're really getting to where they live. How should we handle this? What, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we not supposed to be doing? And at times Paul would deal with these things. So it's right at the top of their list. It's one of the questions they have. And he's trying to make clear to them. So let's see what Paul says to these fairly new converts who are experiencing God but then have questions about how to live, and at the top of that list is, what do we do about sex? Let's see what he has to say. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, which means to set aside, purified to God's service. That's God, what God wants. He says, so that uh, you should avoid sexual immorality. Avoid sexual. Don't be going there. Don't be doing it. Listen, the only version of moral sex in the Bible is between a man and a woman and a man and a woman who are married to each other. Sorry, you're just against gays. Really, the gays are the smallest percentage of this. You know how many people mess around with their girlfriends? You know how many people cheat on their spouses? You know how many people? Most of the people that he's saying no to are not gays, I promise you. This is mostly to a heterosexual crowd. But it also includes any other version that you can throw in. Anything outside the bonds of matrimony were to be discouraged among the Christian community. It's called basic Christian morality. And for those who have a hard time, because we live in a pagan culture today, right? And if there's one thing that lots of Christians want to do today, I love Jesus and I come to church, but I still want to get naked with people and have no problem with that. Uh, and Paul's trying to tell him, no, 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 don't do that, okay? Don't do, this is not good. This is not good for you. You need to learn to put this in perspective. And people say, especially with the homosexual question, well, that's not fair, then they can't have sex. Listen, you know how many people are not married and can't have sex? They're not gay at all. It's not about any one group of people. It's directed to everybody. 
You say, well, gee, that's not fair. I never could find someone to marry. Okay, so it is what it is. Look, in the secular pagan viewpoint, the most important need in your life is sex. And what Paul says and what the Bible teaches is, no, it's not. I get everybody at some level wants to have sex, but nobody has to have sex. No one's ever died from lack of sex. Your life won't be miserable. You won't go through hell because you don't have somebody else in your life that you can be sexually active with. Now, I get that most people want that. That's why you try and find a husband or a wife uh, so that you can have this part of your life fulfilled. But this is, it's not what it's made out to be in this culture. In this culture, the very words that I just said in most secular cultures and even in some Christian cultures is akin to insanity. They would be foaming at the mouth and going crazy. What? What, what do you say? I mean, you know how many high school teachers and administrators and everybody will say, look, it's normal for 13-year-olds to have sex. It's normal for kids to have sex. Like, Let's teach them how to use kind of... The idea of telling someone, no, don't do that or control yourself is like insane. Anybody who says, don't do you're crazy. How could you say that? Because that's the pagan world. Again, it's the pagan world. I get it. The secular world that we live in is exactly the same way today. But we're not pagans. We're Christians, and we want to honor God, God with our bodies, which Paul talks about in various ways as he goes through this. So each of you should learn, verse 4, each of you should learn to control your own body. Control! <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> yes, you can. You can control. I can't help but look at porn. Yes, you can. You can control yourself. I can't help but have sex with someone I'm attracted to that I'm not, not married to. Yes, you can. I can't help but have sex with someone I feel that's the same sex. Yes, you can. You can control yourself. Nobody has to do any of this stuff. We can't control ourselves. And in fact, the grace of God, which Paul writes later to in another letter, we'll get to it, that the grace of God teaches us to say no and to be able to control ourselves. The good news is we don't have to do everything we feel. And I know our culture says, if you tell people to repress their feelings, it, it's the worst thing you could do. You've all heard this, right? Repressed feelings. Oh, what a horrible thing. Oh, pal, we can't get people to repress feelings. That would drive people crazy. It does not drive people crazy. If there's, if there's one thing people need to learn, is to repress their feelings. You feel like killing somebody, you really should repress that feeling. You feel like going into uh, Walmart and stealing a bunch of stuff. I really feel it. I get it. You should repress that feeling. You feel like running over an old lady trying to cross the street in your car? You really should repress those feelings. This idea that unless you express everything you feel that you're sick or something is absurd. I don't care what you feel. As believers, we need to, as servants of God, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. God has done this miracle in us. We want to experience the grace of God in our lives. Now we line up to his standard. We call it basic Christian morality. And by the way, for those who criticize Christianity, it's really the same list that all religions have. Uh, Muslims have the same list. Jews have the same list. I believe I'm not a, I don't know much about Buddhism and Hinduism, but that's some of the stuff that I've read, they have the same list. These are the basic, this is how you behave yourself. This isn't bizarre. It's only bizarre to people who want to live in anarchy and who believe that if you feel it, you have to do it. That it's healthy for you to do it. It is not healthy. That's why people's lives are so jacked up. Look at the world we're living in. Look at the mess. Paul at some point is saying, you know, and he says this in other times, look at the way you used to live. How is that working for you? And of course they'd all go, it was awful. Okay, <laughs> then let's not do this anymore. It's amazing you have to have these arguments with people. 
But the very thing they argue that they want to do is the very thing that sucks the life out of them, brings all kinds of death and destruction into their lives. How about we not do that? All right? Which is what Paul is saying. You need to learn to control your own body, in verse 4, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that would include the bulk of the United States of America. And in this, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. We shouldn't be seducing each other, stealing somebody else's husband or somebody else's wife or trying to have sex with their daughters or whatever. You know, don't, these things cause a lot of damage. Do you know? People, I remember when Bill Clinton got in trouble for his thing and one of the big arguments about this stuff, these are victimless crimes. Nobody gets hurt. It's just between consenting adults. Really? Do you have any idea how many murders are the result of somebody being sexually inappropriate with somebody else? The death, the hatred, the suicides, the diseases, all tied to this immorality. For people to say it's a victimless crime and it's just between two consenting people, they're morons, these people. We don't live in a vacuum. We're connected to people's lives. All these things have consequences. It is destructive behavior. Behavior we, as people of faith, should avoid like the plague. And then Paul says this. Now, this is a pretty strong statement, which would be a little shocking to some. So in verse 6, he says, In this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And then he says this, The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, just as we told you and warned you before. Why would you warn somebody? In other words, it's serious. You don't warn people. I'm going to warn you, you're going to have a great day. No, you don't warn people about having a great day. You warn people that the, that the bridge is out. Man, don't go that way, the bridge is out. Construction over here, watch out for that pothole. Watch out. You warn people of dangerous things. Paul warned the Christians to avoid sexual immorality. Now, the, I know personally people who claim to be divine. I know pastors who believe that because of the grace of God, it doesn't matter what we do sexually. You can do anything you want. You can cheat on your spouse. You can do this. You can fornicate. You can do anybody you want. It doesn't matter. You can be gay. It doesn't matter. Nothing, nothing really matters. It's all love. Love wins. You know, that whole kind of mentality. And when you point out the scriptures, uh, they've got all kinds of ins and outs. Because you remember then in Paul's first letter, he warns about the lust of the flesh and that, uh, you know, those who do these things, and he says this, quote, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I've debated these guys. Guys, what do you mean it doesn't matter? Says, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that just means they won't get blessed. What? Well, you can't even begin to rationalize it, but then you got to go to a verse like this. Paul is not talking about getting blessed. He says, God will punish. And we're talking about Christians here. People without God, they got their own problems anyway. I'm talking, when you become a Christian, there's a, there's a certain amount of expectation that happens now. It's like when you get married. Before you're married, you pretty much can date anybody. After you get married, I've heard wives don't appreciate that when you start dating other women, all right? The rules change. When you become a Christian, the rules change. You belong to God. The benefits are off the charts. 
but God will take you to the woodshed and kick your rear if you don't stop this behavior. It's just that simple. Now, it takes some people a while to get free from this. And we cut all kinds of people. There's people who come to church. They get saved. They're already living with each other, doing all kinds of stuff for all practical purposes. They're married. They just haven't signed the deal. We, you know, we encourage them to make it legal. So we don't hate them. We don't condemn them. And, you know, some of them are sitting listening to me talk right now. I won't point anybody out. All right? We understand that. You know, that's, and, and, and there's, all that can be straightened out. Uh, so there's things that people come to God and things are very, very complicated. There are people, quite frankly, uh, in our congregation, some of our campuses. Uh, they came to Jesus and they've been living with the same man for 17 years. But they never got married. Well, Pastor, don't you call them fornicators and kick them out? No, no. What are you telling us? We, we consider you married. That's what we call them. Well, the state in Wisconsin doesn't recognize it. Really, at this point, I think the state doesn't really have a whole lot to say about this anymore. Wouldn't you agree? The state says all kinds of crazy stuff can go on. I think in many states there is a thing called common law marriage. In Wisconsin there is not. But at some point, uh, the state just, they just got to stay out of it. You know, we need to make judgments as Christians. You're with one person, living with them, committed to them, totally, with nobody else. My advice is you should get married just even for conscience sake and for legal protection. Because if something happens, you get nothing. You go to the court and say, oh, I spent the last 18 years with this person. I should get half of this now. They're going to laugh at you. You got no protection. That's why there's no protection for people who live together. But that's legal. You want to live that way? You knock yourselves out and some of you are so broke it doesn't really matter because you don't have anything to protect anyway. I get that, okay? Uh, But you're living with someone. You've been with someone for years. You got to, we expect you to live as, as husband and wife. Uh, there was huge evidence in the Old Testament. That's how they considered somebody married. The Bible says they went into the, he went into her tent and consummated, and now they're married. Doesn't even say they had ceremonies. I don't know what point they even started having ceremonies. You know, so it is what it is. The state doesn't set these things. We just got to look at people where they're at and and whatever. Then you got people who are just flat out fornicators or fornicators, <laughs> where. There's no commitment. They're just screwing around. They're going to screw around somebody else, and they date, and they screw around, and, they just, and no one is living with anybody. There's no commitment. No one's giving anything. You shouldn't be having sex with your boyfriend. You shouldn't be having sex with your girlfriend and all this behavior. You guys, stop. Stop it. There's no excuse for it. If you don't want to love them, you love them so much, marry the person. Well, I don't want to marry because they want to play the game. They want to be in and out, and I'm telling you, God is going to kick your rear, is what Paul's saying. Well, I don't believe that. Well, just hang on. Because <laughs> at some point, the hammer's going to come. If God loves you and really cares, and you start doing stuff that he doesn't want you to do, you're going to get your rear smacked. And then we'll be there to pick you up off the ground and hold you while you cry, just like when dad whips you with a belt and then mom comes and hugs you later. <laughs> but at some point, you need to stop. Stop it. Now, let me put this in. And this is a big one. And, and I need your help. All of you guys, guys in Stevens Point, the guys listening at home, different uh, groups, you know, here in Green Bay, online, internet, in our church. And, and, and a lot of people that don't even go to our church who, who listen to this. You need to help. And especially you girls need to talk to other women about what I'm about to say here. I have talked to a great many women 
who, quite frankly, just fornicate freely uh, that come to Celebration Church. And uh, I'm not talking about, you know, arguing about whether or not they should get married and they've been with the same guy for 10 years. Again, at, at some point, as far as we're concerned, you're married, you're stuck, you're together for life. You know, you should get married for a lot of reasons, but you know, the way we, we understand that, we get that. I'm talking about you're going dating with a guy, you're having sex with him, you're dating with this guy. Like, I have a boyfriend, we get naked and get to have sex all the time. So, really, you need to stop. And I'm talking as young as, I don't know, in the teens to as old as, I'm trying to think, some of these ladies you're guessing, 55 maybe, coming to my office, telling me what they're doing. Because I ask, it doesn't take long. If you tell me you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, it won't be long before I ask you the question. Are you having sex? And the fear and the panic that goes through their eyes. Now, you're hoping they always go, oh, no, we're, we're good. Good. But a lot of times it's the peer, fear and the panic because they know they're not doing right. And when you challenge them, and I'm talking mostly the ladies, uh, they're the ones who, <laughs> at some point who come clean. And this is their reasoning. Well, I, I fear because I'm not a virgin anymore. That it doesn't matter. This is the predominant thinking, even of single Christian women today. They think, for some reason, their reason to say no to sex, for them, was really not even based on morality, which is, the, that's the mistake they're making. It was all based on protecting their virginity. That was it. And when they look at this, oh, you're talking about being a virgin. I'm not talking about, it has nothing to do with virginity. Well, I guess... <laughs> Certainly it has something, something to do with virginity. Because <laughs> if you don't do this, you'll stay a virgin. But that's not what it's about. This isn't about virginity. This is about honoring God with your body and being a servant of the living God. Morality is not based on the status of your woohoo. Okay? I don't care if you've had sex with 20,000 different men. In the last week alone, it's irrelevant. You need to stop. Well, I'm not a virgin anymore. Clearly, 20,000 times last week, we've established you're not a virgin anymore. It's not about that. It's not about virginity. It's about holiness of heart, sanctified heart, Paul talks about, where I am the maidservant of Jesus. I belong to Jesus. I'm a young man. I belong to Jesus. And I don't know if young men think this way because most of them hide from me. <laughs> it's the girlfriends who, <laughs> who eventually spill the beans. Uh, but man, I'm telling you, from the youngest one to the oldest one, the reason, because they always say, well, I know I shouldn't, but like, you know, I probably shouldn't eat a cheeseburger. It's not good for me, but I, you know, I, I put some bacon on it. I probably shouldn't have. No, 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 no. This was way beyond bacon on your cheeseburger. It's a serious stuff. Okay. And you're just being loose morally. You're in for a real butt-kicking from Jesus if you don't stop. Who said that? Paul says that. It's in the Bible. And we're not just talking about not getting blessed. We're talking a serious butt-wapping here. Uh, and you don't want to be in that position. You need to stop, okay? And I can say this in a meeting like this. I've said this to a meeting with this room full, you know, at a women's conference, you know, almost a thousand women. And they all giggle and laugh their little heads off. But then they walk out and keep doing the same thing. <laughs> I need you women. The Bible says that we're supposed to disciple one another. Discipleship doesn't come from me. I teach and inspire 
Discipleship happens as you guys talk to each other. And you women who hang with other women, especially when you see these single women, you know that you're da- they're dating and stuff, talk to them. What do you think they're doing on their dates? The guy who's dating and wants to get in their pants, I guarantee it. Even some who claim to be devout Christians still want to get in their pants because we live in this crazy culture today. Talk to them, encourage them. No, we don't do that. Doesn't matter if you're not a virgin. That's not what this is about. See, if it's about virginity, then in a way you're actually robbing God and robbing yourself of a blessing because then it's not about God. If it's about, about virginity, it's not about Jesus. It's not about pleasing God and honoring. It's about virginity. It's, it's, I'm protecting virginity. Well, that's not what this is about. Now, if you have successfully protected, protected your virginity, I applaud you, and thanks be to God. You will have a lot less grief in your life, I promise you. But that's not it. If you blow it in that area and suddenly you've lost your virginity, you don't turn from a virgin into a hoe. Okay? It's not, well, that's my virginity. Undies to the wind. No, 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 no. Don't do this. Okay? You need to learn to control yourself. This is about protecting your heart before God. The status of your virginity is of little concern of mine when it comes to this. That's not what this is about. So no matter what your status is, okay, and I'm serious, you know, we, some of you might remember uh, 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 <laughs> Annie Lobert who came and shared her testimony some years ago, who was a high-end call girl in Las Vegas for many, many years, had sex with, of course, they lose count. We're talking thousands of men. But once she became a devout Christian, that stopped. And as far as she was concerned, she was pure before the Lord and she was honoring God with her body. It's just, boy, if anybody would have a reason to just have sex with people, it would have been someone who sold herself and had sex with thousands of men. But when she got saved, she understood this. She was like these pagans. And God knows these guys, I'll bet you, very few of these pagans were virgins. I'm virtually certain. Because the pagan culture, they celebrate everybody having sex. And they, they, that's how they worship their pagan gods. They do all kinds of sexual expressions. It was, this isn't about virginity. This is about at some point realizing, hey, I belong to Jesus. All of this belongs to Jesus. Now having said that, if you want to be sexually active, find a husband, find a wife, and then you can have sex so your eyeballs fall out. And then you'll be arguing because one of you won't want to have sex. And there'll be a whole other argument. Oh, this whole thing drives me crazy. Before they get married, you can't get them out of bed. And after they get married, you can't get them back in. It's just life. It's all, we're all kind of jacked up. In any event, all of this he's talking about is about presenting your heart in pure service to God. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, he says, Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, what, what, what? Verse eight, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, why is he saying this? Because there were people of his day said, ah, just like there is today. I know pastors who reject this instruction. There's all kinds of Christians who reject this instruction. There's people by their own behavior in our own church who reject this instruction. 
He says, look, anyone who rejects his instruction doesn't reject a human being. Look, it's not me. He says, but God, the very God who gives you your Holy Spirit. And that was a big deal because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowered their life, that changed their hearts, that brought miracles into their lives. This God, it's that God who says, don't do this. God does not hate people who are sexually immoral. God does not hate fornicators. God doesn't hate. I mean, there's a lot of kind of people that do all kinds. He doesn't hate you. But uh, this is the this, when you're a person of faith, we should not be living this way. We should be honoring God. And as a child of God, if you keep behaving this way, you will be opening yourself to the discipline of God, which is a butt whipping. All right. Uh, that's what happens when you become a child. You see someone else's child misbehaving, you don't discipline them. Although you might have thoughts <laughs> of smacking that kid that's screaming in Walmart. All right, But it's not your kid. When it's your kid, the rules change. Now you actually have a responsibility to discipline. When you become a child of God, you become responsible. And some of you, and if you know Christian young men and women who are living this way, you need to challenge them. Some of you young, younger guys, a lot of your friends, Christian friends in this church, fornicate their little brains out. I know they do. You need to challenge them. Say, guys, you need to stop. It's not right, and God's not blessing you. And inevitably, they're going to come back, oh, man, my life is, isn't working. I can't find a job. I tried this and everything. Say, you should just point out to them, huh, I wonder if the Lord might be punishing you. You getting your butt kicked? God's not blessing you? Hmm, I wonder Why? Hmm, what rhymes with fornicate? All right? And as in fun and light, loving, possible ways you can, you need to bring out, you want God's best in your life, you need to stop it. And it's not me saying this. It's not you saying this. Paul says it's not even Paul saying this. This comes down from the top. This is God saying this. All right? And he's not, trying to, he's not trying to hold out on you. God is not a prude. He's not mad about this stuff. He knows that this stuff brings death. The broken hearts, the devastated personal esteems, the people who have taken guns and shot somebody else in the head because of this behavior, the diseases that have spread because of this behavior, the destruction, the wake of destruction behind this boat of immorality is no small deal. It's not just you and somebody else. It, this is destructive. And a lot of you are going to be carrying the baggage and the pain of this for many, many years. It doesn't have to happen, all right? Uh, let us be like these pagans who became Christians. No matter what you've done in your past, at some point we decide, you know what? I'm going to do life right. I'm going to honor God. I'm not protecting anything. I'm honoring God with my heart. That's what this is about. And a big message from Paul here as he writes to these pagans. Then we'll jump back in next week. We'll come back. We'll finish this up and uh, look at some of the other questions these guys had. And then he pauses a bit and he writes them another letter and we'll follow up with that. Okay. God bless you guys. See you in church on Sunday. And again, back for the Bible study next Wednesday night.